0: Thank you for joining me for another episode of Empower App Show. I'm your host, Leo Dion. We have a very special episode today. So let's get started. Um, I am going to cover what interests me as far as projects and some of the pr- things I've been working on. And then we'll answer a question from one of our audience members. Next, I'll cover the big topics we've covered on this show, what's been the most popular, kind of a top five of big topics that it seems like people really gravitate towards. Then I'll talk about the future of the show, uh, where I think things are going, um, and what the plans are as far as the rest of the year. So I want to get into uh, what interests me and what I've been working on. Uh, Firstly, it seems like I looked at the calendar and I was really surprised that it's been almost three months since my kids have been out of school, which uh, is pretty crazy when you think about it. We've been doing three months of uh, staying home uh, and... It's been amazing how much work we've been able to uh, produce and get done. A lot of that is uh, thanks to my family, my wife, who's been awesome during this time and let me uh, get a lot of this stuff done while everybody is home. Uh, I tell a lot of people that I really like working from home. I've been doing it for 10 years, but this is weird. This is not normal when you have your kids, uh, running around, uh, all the time, always home and needing things to do, needing attention. Uh, it's been really difficult. So I think remote work is a fantastic and I hope that more employers uh, go that route, but it, I'm hoping that it's not used as an excuse, um, because, uh, because of the fact that some people aren't getting as much done as they typically do well yeah if you have kids all home all day it's a little bit difficult uh i miss a lot of things i miss going to a coffee shop i miss meeting with my friends uh, meeting with uh, people in town, uh, folks who uh, I connect with often. So that's uh, been a little bit challenging, and I'm sure it's been challenging for you too. So um, I hope I hope you guys have been uh, making it through. I, I hope you folks have been doing uh, well with this and have been able to uh, stay financially stable and stay sane through it. I'm doing fine. I'm doing great. Uh, we've pumped out. Actually, more episodes than I had planned uh, we'll get into that a little bit later, but uh I'm really glad with how everything's been going um and everything's been working out as far as dealing with covid and everything uh things are going well uh so far and have um other than you know the stress of having everybody home all the time uh it's been going really well, and I'm really happy with everything. One thing that has been challenging is uh, folks who put on conferences and things like that have had a really difficult time for obvious reasons. Uh, I, I, Gotta say, it's been amazing seeing some of these conferences get put together and work out. I recently spoke at UIConf. Uh, I did my uh, talk on asynchronous programming and development. Talked about Promise Kit uh, by Max Howell and some of the stuff that Vapor does now with asynchronous programming. We talked about Combine, Operation Queues, Dispatch uh, GCD, excuse me, and that went really well. Um, I miss going to a real conference as a meeting with actual real people, uh, but they did a really good job. That team out of berlin was amazing uh maybe i'll get some of the speakers from that uh, on the show because i have a couple of topic ideas i'd love to get from uh folks who spoke at that conference and um if you are interested i will see if i can get a video of my talk and post that in the notes um and uh share it with you folks but it was an amazing conference kudos to the folks at uicom for putting that on it was fantastic uh and uh Really glad I was uh, able to be a part of it. So let's get into uh, what I've been working on. What interests me? Kind of two big topics I wanted to cover in this episode. So what interests me? uh, First of all, um, I'm interested in development, obviously, and I'm interested in dev tools quite a bit and automation. So I'd like to look at what in my daily work can I automate to make my job easier. Uh, what can I do to help developers automate their development so that their applications are built better and easier to maintain? So I try to find like the biggest points of friction in the development process. Uh, one of the biggest ones for me is uh, Xcode. I find Xcode to be massive, massive application with a lot of tweaks and a lot of settings that can be... Uh, Break your app, essentially. Um, so uh, I'm a big fan of, right now, Xcode Gen by Yanis. Uh, um, it's an awesome app that uh, can take a YAML file and build out a whole Xcode project from that. Uh, I probably talked about it in a few episodes. But that really accentuates the idea of like simplicity in building a very complex Xcode project. I don't know if any of you have looked at like, the PBXJ files But those things can be really, really massive. Um, And my hope is that I can get to a point where I can put stuff in the App Store uh, by only storing the YAML in my repo and then automatically building the Xcode project from that and then building it and archiving it and throwing it into the App Store from there. I would love to be able to get to that point. It's an awesome project you should take a look at. Uh, I'm obviously really into CI. We had that great episode with Kyle last year. And then I also want to um, do a lot with Swift packages and CI. I did an article recently about how to get started with GitHub Actions and Travis CI with your Swift packages. So um, one thing I've looked at recently is Commodore. That is a – hopefully I pronounced that right. That is a dog breed, and I'm not a dog person, so I don't know if I said that right. But Commodore, uh, link in the show notes, is uh, kind of – I think Husky does this in JavaScript. The idea being like setting up Git hooks um, with various Swift packages and doing what you kind of expect out of a build tool to do in a build phase in Xcode to do it with a Swift package before you make commits. Uh, so you can set up stuff like uh, SwiftLint and Swift Test, Swift Format, that kind of stuff before you post to um, the uh, before you commit and push to GitHub or your Git repository. Um, I looked a little bit at Rocket. I want to do a little bit more with that. That sets up, like, releases. And then uh, I've been working with Dave quite a bit on the uh, his Swift Package Manager site and uh, helping him with validation. Uh, maybe that, maybe some of that, those updates will be out by the time I release this episode. We'll see. Um, but uh, the big thing uh, is uh, Eggseed recently. Uh, it's a new... Uh, tool that I've uh, come out with where it will set up um, your CI, your OSs, um, your different targets for a Swift package. Um, So that way your CI is set up with your Swift package um, and you're good to go to actually deliver this to the community and to other folks uh, knowing fully well what it works on. Um, it works with GitHub Actions, Travis CI, BitRise recently I just added, as well as Circle CI. Definitely check that out. That should be released in the show notes. Uh, it was set up originally as a GitHub template, but I moved that over to an actual Swift package tool that you can install um, yourself. So uh, you can take a look at that. Uh, we've talked about Speculate quite a bit. I recently released version 2. Speculate kind of does what I hope. Is something close to how awesome uh, Xcode Gen is, where it takes uh, SVG files and builds out full out uh, asset catalogs from your SVG files into like app icons or image sets, whatever you want to do. Um, I'd like to get this in the App Store. So that's my big plan for version 3 is, for one thing, get it into the App Store. Um, And I plan on adding, like, an actual GUI to it uh, as an editor for the JSON files that are underneath. Um, I want to be able to uh, add previews so you can see what your app icon will actually look like in your app. Um, I want to do uh, filters so changing the SVG. I want to do actually selective filters kind of think like what CSS does where you can say that I want this SVG to be red on TVOS but green on iOS and modify this or change add some padding things like that change it um, various things based on like display gamut or whatever. Folks do, you know, feedback would be helpful on this if there's anything you can think of. But that's kind of my plan with Speculate. So Speculate and Exceed and the SwiftPM.co stuff is really, um, follows my passion of doing stuff for developers and helping developers. What I essentially want to do is I want to make it easy for them to build good apps instead of making it a uphill battle. So um, that's one category of projects I'm interested in and currently working on. Secondly, in this community, the elephant, of course, in the room is always iPhone. iPhone apps are super, super big for obvious reasons. It's what most consumers have, and it makes a lot of sense and what a lot of people use. However, um, I feel it's a very crowded market, so I would rather be interested in building stuff for the watch, the server, or for the Mac, and I'm really passionate about that. Um, I have some RSI issues with looking at an iPhone iPhone too long. So anything that can alleviate that is helpful. I like the watch because I don't have to look at it without using it. Um, Mac apps, just I have a huge screen to deal with. I actually do like iPad apps. I do iPad apps in a second. Um, I have an iPad Pro that I love and I use a lot. So anything outside of the iPhone, I'm really interested in. um, I, I want something either a bigger screen or a smaller screen. And I find kind of has this weird screen size in between that, um, is only really useful to me if I am traveling and like at a conference and I just need to have something in my hand to do all the time. But, um, I'm interested in what I can do on the watch, um, the server and, uh, on the Mac. And that's like why heart twitch, um, is such a sweet spot for me. I almost wish I can avoid as much of like the web development part of that as I can, honestly. Um, but, uh, heart, Twitch is uh, the web app slash watch app where you can share your heart rate on a live stream. Um, so I should post uh, that on to this video here, maybe while I edit. Um, but the way heart, Twitch works, is that it uses a uh, vapor as a backend to keep track of uh, just authentication and then it keeps track of web sockets and being able to share your uh, health data to a web so you can do like um the watch app basically does a url request sends the data out, and then there's a web socket on the website uh that will listen in to those changes so that um is a big uh watch vapor app that I'm really interested in because it's such a quirky uh set of technologies. It's an independent watch app too. It uses Swift UI. Very exotic stuff. Exotic. I don't know, exotic. But um it's very uh it's a very eclectic set of technologies. So anything like that, I'm really interested in I just kind of get sick and tired of like apps that are essentially nothing but like table views with uh table views and things like that. I'm interested in kind of different and interesting APIs. So maybe you kind of get that vibe from some of the topics we've picked on the show. The other thing I want to mention about heart Twitch is is uh, my plans for version two is to um, make the uh, connection between the app and the website automatic. Right now you have to enter in this really awkward five k- alphanumeric code. It can obviously be really difficult on the Apple watch. Um, but I want to automate a lot of that using CloudKit, So I'm actually going to be doing some stuff with cloud Kit and vapor. Uh, maybe I got a blog post there. I can write about hopefully soon about how that stuff works. And uh, the next thing was uh, also adding some, some theming, custom colors, custom fonts, uh, things like that to the uh, interface. So uh, people can do that, uh, adding calories, Uh, Right now the watch reads the calories, but I don't have it on the website part yet. So I'm hoping to add that soon. So those are a couple of things I'm planning to add to hard Twitch in the future. Lastly, iPhone apps do interest me in a lot of ways. And to me, what makes an iPhone app really useful, besides the fact that using an actual app is a lot better than um, UX-wise, UI-wise, than using necessarily just Safari and a a web app, is the, um, the various hardware and portability of the device itself. Now, that may seem like a really obvious statement, but what I'm trying to say is there is a lot of apps that, are pushed as apps that don't really need to be apps and can just be websites but i think that if it uses the particular hardware on the phone uh i'm really interested in developing an app for that for instance the camera like i'm recording this right now on my iphone using Filmic pro this is awesome it really uses the camera to its fullest and it really takes advantage of it bluetooth um bluetooth Machine learning, all the hardware and machine learning that it has, location-based stuff, anything that really deals with the portability of the iPhone itself—it makes it useful. Um, that's where I think an app really works and is super helpful. Um, I know that the stuff that they're doing in browsers is amazing what they do with JavaScript, but like in the end, I think using that hardware natively uh, in Swift is really powerful. And that's kind of if there's ever a niche I'm really interested in when it comes to iPhone app stuff, it's typically that before we get into the top five big topics from empower apps i wanted to answer a question from one of our audience members i think is going to be helpful to a lot of folks this is from rick walter he asks helio As I mentioned, I'm an aspiring iOS developer. I'm employed, but we don't do native iOS, which is what I have invested my time in heavily to learn. So in order to transition, I've been thinking of freelancing. Do you have any advice for a would-be freelancer? I'm looking to get an LLC soon. I just want to find employment as an iOS developer, but without experience, I fear I will not get an opportunity. I'm hoping freelancing provides enough experience to convince a company to give me the opportunity, thoughts? Well, will that be enough, you think? Thanks, Rick. That's a really great question. So first thing uh, I want to answer here is whether freelancing is a great way to build experience. Um, I think freelancing is a way to build experience, but what's most important is to build a portfolio and to build a list of references. I think that's super important. Whether you want to do that by freelancing, it's perfectly fine. Um, I think a great way to build a portfolio is by doing side projects. And if you want to do that through a business, which you probably do want to do. And if it's easy enough in your state or country to just set up an LLC or whatever the equivalent of that is, so you can have a separate legal entity, I encourage you to do that. Here in Michigan, it's really easy. So I obviously did it quite a while ago. Um, And then if you do that, set up a separate bank account so that any money that you spend or get through this business, you can track separately separately. If you want to go the freelancing route, which I don't think you do. Um, and you want to just go that way solo, like what I do, um, definitely start an emergency fund. I would say that's my like number one, like tip for anybody who wants to be out on their own. I did a great presentation. Um, at Kim Arnett's old uh, lady dev group. Kim, who was on and talked about accessibility. I'll post a link to that video uh, in the show notes. But to me, like, your question seems to be more focused on wanting to get a full-time job as an iOS developer. And like I said, in that case build a portfolio and build a little list of references. So how do you build a portfolio then? So a couple things, uh, is there some sort of app or idea that you're really interested in building? It doesn't have to sell. It just has to show that you can build a really good app. So that's one thing to do. Um, and then wh- however you can share that, uh, you can either a put it in the app store or B just put it on GitHub. Just, or both. Um, obviously, there's some legal stuff you might want to check out uh, if you're going to put your code available um, and also put it on the App Store. But that is something to look into. Um, build an app you are interested in that use some sort technology you want to learn, and you know use that as an exercise to build your portfolio. Um, building an app for pay would be the best idea, and this is where obviously having an LLC is super important in a separate bank account and doing that is just, it's going to be hard to do that as a side project and find somebody who's willing to pay you, uh, for freelance, uh, iOS development. Um, you're just, you're the other thing you could do, uh, is do like volunteer work, find a nonprofit that you see, could see how an an app would be helpful to them and, uh, do some t- dedicate some time to that. Uh, however, I will say, um, the worst kind of app to work on sometimes is working on a volunteer nonprofit app because there is no cap to the amount of time they expect from you. So just be aware of that. If you're going to do it, um, have full own like have ownership of this project and be willing to say no to certain things that they say, this is your app which you are doing of your interest, but the end goal is to build a portfolio while at the same time helping this organization. But you know, Make sure you have boundaries when it comes to this. Like I said, uh, building an app that you can post on an app store and share with a potential employer would be great. Or having a GitHub repo is also great as well. Um, If this was a normal world, I would say go to a meetup and volunteer to speak. Um, There are actually meetups that probably are remote. If there are any, please let me know and I'll share that in my Twitter account. But, um, you know, if there's some remote meetups you can speak at, or if there's places where you can network once the world returns back to normal, I would recommend that as well. Um, like I said, build an app you're interested in, build apps for pay is even better, a volunteer for a nonprofit. Um, I would also take a look to see if maybe there's like an internal app you can build for your company. I don't know how big it is, but I'm wondering if there's something you can do in Swift for your company internally that would build some expertise and maybe something you could post on github that you can show to a potential employer as well um there there may be a way like you don't have to build an app for the public but something maybe internally that you can share um the other thing i was going to say is you could don't feel like you cannot spend some time filling out applications and talking to potential employers and just asking them what they're looking for with the idea of more like with more with the idea or intention of gauging and understanding the market as opposed to necessarily getting the job. And that might give you some uh, ideas of what you can do to, to help with that, or maybe just transfer to a company that has potential iOS development for you, um, while using your current set of like development skills. I assume you're doing some sort of development right now. Um, or maybe you can spend a few hours a week at that other company also doing iOS development, maybe with the hope of transitioning to a full-time iOS at some point, which, you know, would be nice. I'm trying to think what else I want to cover on this one. Um, last but not least, I would recommend a few people to follow as well. Uh, we did our episode. Two of our former guests uh, really are specialized in this area and would uh, I would recommend following on Twitter. That would be uh, Alex Bush, who has his book on iOS development interviews. Check him out. Um, he was on episode 12 and the other episode we did on a developer wish list. And then John Knox as well has his site. Uh, which I'll also post in the show notes where people can post jobs as well as resumes. You'll want to check him out as well. And then last but not least, uh, Sean Allen, who's really big on YouTube is big into helping folks uh, get jobs. Um, You'll want to check him out as well on YouTube and Twitter links in the show notes, definitely check um, those folks out. Um, They're definitely really uh, dedicated to interviews and things like that and helping iOS developers get hired. So check that out. I hope that helped, Rick, and I hope that helps uh, other folks in our audience that are looking to get started as well. Um, I will see if I can find also my link to my talk about getting started with iOS development as well. That's more on the techie side, so not really hiring, but um, hopefully that helps you. Um, Thanks for the question. I think it's going to be helpful to a lot of people all right so let's get into big topics from empower apps what i did is i looked at our download numbers and list of episodes and the survey which you all all filled out thank you so much and i found grouped some of these episodes these were like maybe 13 episodes or so into big topics that have been really popular. It seems like there's a real trend of topics that people really love and are interested in, in learning more about. So let's get started with our first topic, which is a great segue from Rick's question. That is career and getting hired. People are really interested in this. We had our episode with Alex back in episode 12 a long time ago on iOS developer interviews. We had John Knox on talking about getting hired and the process and challenges companies have in hiring folks. And then, uh, of course, we had Mr. Uh, Paul Hudson on, Mr. Two Straws, talking about hacking your career, which was a fantastic episode. He didn't really talk about uh, Swift necessarily, but he talked about like how to update, upgrade your career not just in Swift, but also in um, other places as well in your career. Yeah,
1: I think we all place too much emphasis on someone's coding abilities. Because it matters to us. Of course, we want, we want a good coder on our team. But you know, would you like to have a, a 10 out of 10 coder with a 2 out of 10 communication style? Would you want that? Or you know, 1 out of 10 ability to do testing? Or 3 out of 10 time management skills? It creates a lot of problems. There are out there significantly, significantly better developers than me who are 9 or 10 out of 10, because uh, I, I certainly am not. But I combine my 8 or whatever it is out of 10 with the ability to communicate with people well, to be able to understand commercial pressures and time pressures and similar, be able to run good teams with supporting management styles and similar. And that, I think, adds up to a stronger whole than I would have had if I had just focused on more and more and more
0: code. Also coming back, Alex's episode was fantastic, talking about what kind of developer questions you want to ask from a developer. Not necessarily getting into, uh, like, should you use storyboards or code, but explain the advantages and disadvantages of each to kind of get a better idea of the candidate and their thinking process. I
2: would do, right? I don't
0: know if that's
2: the right approach, but if I interview, I would uh, want to know if regardless of what the person prefers and 3UE prefers, right? Do they prefer storyboards or they prefer writing everything in code? I want for them to tell me the pros and cons of each option and when to use each option. That way, I will, you know, hopefully hear from them that they know there, there are trade-offs for one approach and another, and at some point it breaks down, right? Or... In some cases, it doesn't make sense. And specifically, I'm talking about, let's say, storyboards don't make a breakdown on scale when you have, I don't know, more than 20 people, let's mm-hmm. say, working mm-hmm. on the app. Yep. But then it doesn't make sense to do it right away as you're a one or two people team. Yes, Something like that, right? At least some reasoning like that, because if they don't have it and the answer is, oh, i just been doing storyboards all the time because Apple said so, that is not a good answer. Yeah. That means they don't think.
0: And then I, I really liked John's episode talking about like the challenges worth recruiting and things like that. These are this is a topic that I think the audience is constantly interested in. Obviously, you can see that with uh, Rick's question. So probably be coming back to that for sure. Uh, check these episodes out if you want some tips on getting hired as well. And, um, that is one big topic is career and getting hired. Let's talk about the next one. So the next topic I want to cover is, uh, future technologies. Uh, out of the five big topics, I'd say this is the, uh, Probably the smallest, but I think probably one that will gain more momentum as we go on. Uh, These would be the episodes with uh, Kevin Scott about machine learning. I really appreciate having Kevin on because Kevin's not a Swift developer. I think sometimes we get too much in the weeds of the code on these shows. And what helped was that Kevin gave a much more soft uh, reasoning behind machine learning of why machine learning uh, is important and how it's helpful. Get hit some really great points about how to get your data ready, for instance. People don't think about that and where machine learning is a good fit and where it's not exactly a good fit. A
1: lot of the time, companies, they don't have a good idea of what their data is, what's in their data, how it's stored, what insights they can get just from normal statistical methods on that data. And so I think there's a lot of hype around these technologies, but for a... Company entering the space, a good first step is to sort of do an audit of what is the data that you currently have and how is it organized.
0: We also had the episode with Gee Rambo. Uh, Gee's great. Uh, I really enjoy some of the projects that he's been working on lately, and he had a really great episode about future proofing your apps. We talked a little bit about like the AR glasses, which I think the rumors have heated up lately. Um, But he had a really good perspective on that and talking about avoiding, speaking of architecture, exotic architectures and things like that.
1: I usually give, you can architect an app very well and still use basically model view controllers, but there are ways to architect it, still using that, but keeping it sane and not having like the issues that people tend to have with that architecture
0: gotten me interested in building stuff on, on the Raspberry Pi and things like that as well. So you'll definitely want to check those two episodes out. I think people are always interested in like rumors and future technologies and things like that. What these episodes do, I think is they bring them down to like kind of a reality. Both Kevin and Gee really um make things like machine learning or AR, uh, something that's tangible. And like, how is it in one year or two years, no matter what new architectures come out, Um, How are we going to be building these apps uh, in a useful way? And I think they uh, bring them to reality and make them actually tangibly helpful to us who actually do this for a living. So check those episodes out as well. So the next big topic is one that I covered in a video uh, not that long ago, but the idea of patterns and practices Stuff like architecture, TDD, code quality, modularity, things like that. So we did our episode, um, did two episodes with folks from Wade Winderlich. uh, iOS app architecture with Renee Kesho and Josh Berlin was really good talking about why architecture is important and how helpful it is. A lot of apps that are built usually start with maybe like one person or a small team. And that person, maybe that developer has an opinion about how to architect the app. And as a team grows and the product org wants more changes, it becomes a lot harder to make those changes if the team isn't on board with one type of architecture. We also had our episode with Joshua Green and Michael Katz on test-driven development, which seems like something that... um, could really use a boost in the uh, Swift and iOS dev community. And talking about some of the issues with like code coverage and how to do it correctly.
1: Two things, especially if you're talking to a CTO that they like to hear is that maintainability and scalability and making sure that you have a complete working set of tests allows the team to be more efficient and add features faster in the future. So, you know, you know that you can add something without worrying that you're gonna break Existing behavior, especially as the app gets more complicated over time.
0: We had our episode with uh, Abby Jackson talking about modularity. I can't believe I said that right, which uh, I'm obviously really interested in when it comes to stuff like Swift packages. Uh, Kyle talked about continuous integration, which is really popular as well. And then um, recently we had Anne Cahalan on talking about managing code quality which uh, was a really popular episode. And uh, the idea of having empathy for other developers and yourself and keeping your code simple and working correctly um, so that it's easy to maintain.
3: Always choose the simplest solution to whatever your problem is. Your simplest architecture is going to be the easiest to understand. Your simplest solution is going to be the one that's easiest to come back to later. I think as an industry like Code is fun. We can do really cool things with it. And I've never really lost the feeling that I'm doing some kind of like magic trick when I press a bunch of buttons and then something shows up on a screen. Absolutely, Like that never goes away. And the sort of constant desire to, if this is a cool way to do it, then there's a cooler way to do it. Let's find the fanciest thing that we can do. Like that's part of what's fun and exciting about code of any kind, mobile, web, other... Mm -hmm you're telling a robot what to do. You're making something happen. That's really, really cool. Chasing that high can end up with us doing more and more complicated, sort of broke kind of things, both in terms of like architecture and the actual code that we're writing. Your point to something being over-engineered is almost worse than it being messy.
0: What I think makes uh, this topic so – popular is uh including the career and getting hired stuff is uh this is helpful to like real day-to-day work at our jobs we have to maintain these apps for a long period of time and these uh this topic and these episodes are i think really helpful to a lot of folks in making sure that um, they can be helpful to their workplace especially when they're working on a big team Uh, if you're interested in learning more about this stuff i'll have links to these episodes in the show notes uh We had really great guests and I'm always looking for new ideas on how to um, do more topics like this. So please let me know if there's something else you want to hear when it comes to these uh, pattern practice type topics. All right. So we got two more left and these probably aren't very surprising, but they're very, very popular, big topics. The first one I want to cover is backend technologies and server-side Swift. Uh, so, early on, uh, we had our episode with Eric back in episode eight, which was very popular, and still, like people listen to that episode quite a bit. Uh, Eric really Gray gave some uh, great. Feedback and experiences with building with the Firebase and some of the issues he ran can you into. Explain a little bit about how Firebase works. Uh, you can think of it as a uh, NoSQL database that stores everything effectively as one giant JSON object. And they have a very basic querying language that you can use to access data within that JSON structure, but it's not very robust and it's gotten a little bit better, but I think this typically ends up happening with a lot of NoSQL databases. If you want complex querying capabilities, typically you end up duplicating a lot of your data. Highly recommend checking that episode out. Uh, We talked about all the differences between cloud, uh, like a cloud technology like Firebase or CloudKit versus setting up your own server versus um, GraphQL which we uh, talked about recently with uh, Chris um, But then we also uh, had a couple episodes talking about server-side Swift and Vapor. Uh, firstly, there's uh, episode 34 with Tim Condon, where he talked about how uh, popular server-side Swift is and um, how it's being actually used in production, which was awesome. And then recently we had Tibor on talking about Vapor 4 and some of the updates that have come to Vapor in Vapor 4, which I really enjoyed uh, listening to him and learning more about his book. It's surprising to me how popular uh, this topic is and growing. Like I like Vapor. I'm using Vapor right now and I use it a lot of my projects. Um, But when I first heard about server-side Swift, I kind of thought it. Honestly, it was a bit of a gimmick until the folks at IBM introduced me to Kitora, and then I started dabbling into uh, Vapor. Uh, this would have been like two or three years ago, back in Triswift. And um, Vapor is awesome. I, I really, really can't say this enough to like give it a try and build something with Vapor. It's It's really solid and really easy to get started. I think this stuff is kind of somewhere where uh, Node.js would have been maybe five or ten years ago where it's like, oh, this is a gimmick to do JavaScript on the server. Uh, but now, obviously, it's, like, super serious, and I think that's the same way with with Swift on the server as well and Vapor. I think it's definitely going to be going places, and uh, you should definitely give it a shot. Take take a look at it. Um, I'm going to be definitely doing more stuff with Vapor in the future, so you'll definitely want to check that out. Last but not least, the uh, probably the big topic that shouldn't surprise you that everybody wants to keep hearing more about is Swift UI. I remember in the early days, I'd ask guests, like, what do you prefer coded UI or uh, storyboards? And uh, once we got Swift UI uh, from WWDC, uh that question became kind of irrelevant uh right after WWDC we had Jason Anderson on who's been doing reactive functional stuff i don't know how long but i don't know when i first met him he was doing reactive functional in objective c and he talks about the history of re- reactive functional programming and it was really great to have him on um to talk about that history and where swift ui uh fits in There's no benefit from the user perspective which method you choose to create your app. It's more an exercise for getting your developers up to speed with this new layout, knowing that there will be a lot of time invested up front into learning the ropes and getting up to speed on it. But long term, your development iterations, at least from on the UI side of things, should get considerably faster over time. Also, uh, we had, I did a couple of videos on Swift UI as well. Uh, Swift, uh, I did the, uh, Swift UI and 2020 trends in episode 30, and then the Swift UI good, bad, and solutions video as well. Um, what my hope was out of those videos is, uh, especially the, the good, bad, and, and solutions is talking about where Swift UI fits and where it doesn't fit in the overall uh, development process right now, um, where, it's kind of the future, but how do you deal with it with apps right now or new apps that are coming out? Where is it a good fit? Where is it a bad fit? And what are some workarounds? Um, so hopefully, I hope that episode was really helpful for you. No discussion on Swift UI. Uh, goes without uh, talking about Combine. And then, of course, we talked about with uh, Donnie Walls about uh, Combine in episode 47 and talked about his book, Practical Combine. I really enjoyed talking with Donnie and I'm hoping to do another episode with him as well. Uh, there's so much to Combine. We really get into the nitty gritty of scheduling and uh, assignments, syncs, um, subscribers, and how all that stuff works. Uh, I hope you liked that episode. I, I certainly did. He had some really great points about um, how Combine uh, works within the framework of SwiftUI and how it could work in UIKit as well. It's absolutely ready. I think you can do everything you need to do with Combine. Albeit like s- some small parts are maybe missing, right? Like UIKit bindings for UIKit elements where you can get the changes to those or, or that kind of stuff, but nothing deal-breaking. So if I were a manager and I think... At that point, the most important bit would be, is the the engineering team comfortable with learning this new framework right now? Yeah, there you go. If they have to bandwidth for that, like if there's bandwidth for learning, then absolutely go for it. Well, if they need to learn it, they just need to find a really good book on like learning combined. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you knew, if you Uh, know anybody, yeah, if only. (laughs) So those are our five big topics that seem really popular career and getting hired future proofing and future technology patterns or practices, architecture, TDD, that stuff, uh, backend and server side Swift. And then, uh, last but not least Swift UI. So lastly, I want to talk about the uh, plans for the future for this podcast and where I see things are going. Um, starting last year, I did change the schedule slightly. Um, when I first started off, when it was just me and Teresa and Teresa interviewing me, um, it w- was almost like monthly. This would have been like twenty seventeen ish, twenty eighteen ish. Then I quickly bumped that up to uh, every other episode, and then started having guests. Last year, and then this year, what? And my plan for the rest of the year is uh, to do three episodes. Per a month, That seems like a really odd number, but it does bump the number of episodes from 26 last year to 36 this year. I'll be honest with you. Even with COVID, I think we're probably going to be more like 40 episodes. My schedule has been a bit erratic, but more generous um, as far as getting episodes out because quite frankly, like I know how difficult it is to listen to podcasts right now. And so I'm kind of playing around with the schedule with the way the world is right now. Um, So I'll probably get more episodes out, honestly. Um, And the other thing is to get videos like this out um, every other month. So if you're listening to this on the podcast, uh, on your podcast player, this is available on YouTube. So if you want to see my beautiful face and hear me talk and watch visual aids, um, this is available on YouTube as well. So uh, every other month will actually be a face-to-face video like this. One face-to-face video like this, um, as opposed to just like YouTube where I post the uh, waveform essentially of the audio uh, for people who are subscribed to YouTube. So as far as topics that are really popular, people want to hear more about UI design. That seems uh, really um, of interest to folks. So if you know anybody that would be interested in guesting, uh, being guest on the podcast to talk about UI design, please let me know. Still looking for someone on that. Uh, developer tools, I think, uh, seems to be really popular. I like talking about it. <laughs> um, so it's just a matter of finding guests who want to be on the same page with me on it. Um, core ML. So we had Kevin on, but I want somebody to actually talk about machine learning in Swift and the different APIs there. Uh, I want to have talk about local storage. That is, you know, what's the difference between core data, Realm, SQLite, uh, et cetera, and what are the advantages of the different ones and how to use them best? And then uh, Bluetooth, I think I might have a guess for that. We'll see. Um, But I think that's something we should definitely be talking about. And then Git uh, and how to do Git. And uh, if you know somebody in the Swift space who'd be interested in talking about Git, please let me know. Um, Obviously, we got DubDub coming up pretty soon. So I need to uh, make sure that I slow down a little bit as far as scheduling and planning episodes out. Uh, Not scheduling, I'm still going to do three episodes a month, but as far as like planning this stuff out two ahead of time, I want to wait till dub dub to do that and see what comes out. Uh, And then I'll have a better idea what to schedule in July, August and September as far as those topics are are concerned. Before we end, I want to thank everybody, all my listeners for uh, really um, enjoying the show and being part of this. Uh it's really means a lot to me uh, all the positive feedback that I've gotten. I really appreciate it. I-, I hope that this podcast has been helpful to you. I've really enjoyed making it and meeting a lot of people online. Uh it's been fantastic. I love talking about this stuff and I love all the guests that we've had. They've been fantastic. Thank you guests for coming on the show. It really means a lot to me to like meet these people who I've heard about Um, only preferably uh, and then actually get to spend an hour or two talking to them um, and and producing this great show for you and the community. Um, I want to thank Teresa who helped start this podcast with me in the early days, helped get things going in those first few episodes with her wonderful interviews. I loved Uh, she's been a friend of mine for over a decade and to uh, have somebody who's slightly ignorant to, and I mean this in a good way, slightly like a normal person, not like us, um, <laughs> to interview me and ask these questions, I think is helpful to a lot of our audience who, um, I, I feel like one of my vices is to just skip a few steps and explain stuff. Um, and so it was really great to have her on the show early on. Um, I thought Eric was a big help. Um, Eric helped uh, me uh, get started with podcasting, and he was a big help uh, host, helping host um, a couple of episodes early on before we started getting into the pattern of guests. Um, I, I want to thank him so much. I want to thank my family, especially my wife, for being able to let me do this, especially uh, during these difficult times. Um, we've been able to manage to schedule these times and get these in, um, and I really love doing the show and putting it on for the community. Thank you again for joining me on the show. Uh, please do, uh, if you could take some time, uh, post a review on um, Apple podcasts or Google podcasts, wherever you're listening to this, that would be, I would really appreciate that. And any way you can share this with some of your friends and colleagues on social media. I would really appreciate that as well. I'm looking forward to speaking with you again in our next episodes. Uh, our next guest will be Erica Sadoon. Uh, Erica's awesome. If you don't follow her on Twitter or don't go to her website, she is one of the smartest people I know, Um, and I really enjoyed talking with her about um, just teaching, tooling, and uh, the Swift argument parser, which she recently presented at at Troy Swift World. highly, highly recommend you check those two episodes out coming out in June, Uh, two big episodes before WWDC, and then uh, we'll kind of see how things go once WWDC comes around what i'll be doing there uh follow me on twitter again leo gtm my company is at bright digit that's where i post the episodes and then hopefully retweet them out uh, through my personal account thanks and we'll talk to you soon